GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, the Canadian Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a cattleman's assembly tomorrow in Melville. Saskatchewan Program Coordinator Adrian Hansen will have all the details for us. Rural municipalities are expressing support for Saskatchewan's proposed Firearms Act. We'll hear from SARM President Ray Orb on that development. As well, we will have a weekly overview of the wheat market that's been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. That was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. And of course, rural Saskatchewan is facing many of the same challenges attracting large animal veterinarians to work in local practices as there are for new medical grads to work at hospitals and regional centers outside of Saskatoon and Regina. We'll hear from a panel discussion on that. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, it's a bit of a gray day here today. I don't think we're getting any precipitation at the moment, but it's kind of hanging there, some fog or mist or something. Yeah, and that's been our, our weather for a few days, and I think it's not going to be much different tonight or really tomorrow by this time. There's not going to be much falling. There may be from time to time, but more than falling, it's really just condensing. It's this, this moisture trapped. It's the, the patchy fog. And even that, it's more of a, most of the time, it's more of a low to mid-level cloud deck than actual fog getting into the ground. But it's there, and it's got the moisture, and it's condensing out, producing that occasional flurry, uh, the occasional patch of freezing drizzle here and there. The end result, it just doesn't warm up a whole lot. However, having said that, it doesn't have to, because we're not dropping off at night, which means we're already in, in prime position to work ourselves above normal through the afternoon. Coming into the afternoon, we're above normal. We'll get up a few more degrees. In fact, as this cloud bank thins a bit, our chance of getting up to minus 8 is there for the afternoon. We drop back tonight to around minus 12 and minus 8. Again, the high tomorrow, mostly cloudy sky. The yesterday, uh, minus 9, minus 12, you know, within a degree or so there is where we are for these next few days. There is a disturbance sitting off to our west. This is actually a ridge of high pressure, which is sitting over uh, eastern Saskatchewan, uh, extending down through what uh, looks like the southern end of that particular piece of the ridge is almost into Nebraska, not quite, South Dakota. But I, I note that it's just that piece because there is another ridge just behind that on the other side of a frontal boundary and this front is trying to inch north where the problem is the high that's here is the stronger part of the high and the air mass 
to the south, which is the warmer one, is trying to move and it can't. It can't bunt, uh, can't push this high out of the way. It's bumping up against it and stalling. So watching a disturbance, uh, making its way an upper level disturbance, which is the stacked version of the surface low, uh, is just moving into the province now by tomorrow midday. It doesn't even make it halfway across. It'll take likely until uh, Thursday, uh, Thursday night to actually work its way across. And by then it's getting shifted southward. And it, that's where the active weather is. So the result is that we stay with this just gray, not overly active pattern. We don't move much in the temperatures either. Even as this pattern moves, I mentioned by Thursday, it's starting to get a little farther south of us. We're still right there, minus 11 on Wednesday night, minus 7 on Thursday. But as that system does pull away, a stronger disturbance sets up in the Great Lakes, starts to pull the moisture into it, and that will give us a better chance for getting some sunshine out on Thursday. Minus 7, still very light wind through this stretch, too, averaging around 10, 12 kilometers per hour. Cloud partial sunshine for Friday up to minus 4, and partly sun with increasing cloudiness, minus 3. Even though the storm uh, tracks a little bit farther south, the warm air still gets closer. Even if we don't get into the warm air, it starts to overspread the front a little bit, leaving us above normal uh, into the weekend. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 9 degrees. Swan River minus 10. Dauphin minus 11. Brandon minus 13. Show Lake Russell and Roblin minus 12. Regina, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head all reporting in at minus 11. Hudson Bay minus 9. Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 13. The Yorkton Melville region is reporting some light snow. I'm not too sure about that, but an east wind at 11 kilometers an hour. 89% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 12 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 18 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 9 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 12 degrees. There was no precipi precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 13 degrees. The normal low is minus 24 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.46 this morning and it will set at 5.14 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hot spot was Sprague at minus 1 degree. The cold spot was Grand Rapids at minus 20 degrees. The Saskatchewan hot spot yesterday was Maple Creek, which got up to zero. The cold spot was a tie between Stony Rapids and Meadow Lake. They both dropped down to minus 16 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will return in a moment. But first, it's time to check in once again with Tanya Cherry. Thank you, Tanya. The Canadian Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a Cattlemen's Assembly tomorrow in Melville. Saskatchewan Program Coordinator Adrian Hansen has the details. We're going to listen to Avery. Adrian Ivey chat about some um, challenges in the cattle industry and then we're going to hear from the, myself for CFG Offcast regarding the programming that we have available for helping ranchers install rotational grazing at their place. She notes Adrian Ivey is well known in agriculture circles. 
Yeah, she's our homegrown agriculture advocate. So we're happy to have her out at the event tomorrow night at the Melville. Hansen explains what Ivy will be talking about. She'll be speaking about positives in the egg industry. So making sure that our message is clear to our consumers, that we are uh, looking after the environment and food safety for them. And just to kind of hear what the goings on are for her activities recently. She says a representative from Ducks Unlimited will be outlining their forage and rangeland programming. I know they have some really great forage opportunities through ducks. And one portion of our program is grazing plans. And the ducks people have been so kind to be able to help with mapping, GIS mapping for planning out uh, grazing plans. Hansen says producers still have some time to pre-register for the event. We would really love pre-registration. Uh, I have about, I have, I have seats left, let's say. I, have, I don't have an accurate count right this second, but we do have seats left. So if you want to get in on the, the event, please uh, feel free to drop me a line. Eating begins at 4 at the Horizon Credit Union Center in Melville. They can call or text to 306-421-421. 8538. Adrian Hansen is the Saskatchewan Program Coordinator for the Canadian Forage and Grassland Association. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. The governments of Saskatchewan and Manitoba are in federal court today to intervene in a judicial review of the Vancouver Port Authority's new gateway fees. The province says these fees could significantly increase costs for Saskatchewan goods moving through the port of Vancouver. The fees range from 8 to 40 cents per tonne for bulk non-containerized cargo, including grain and potash. A number of companies, including Regina-based Viterra, are seeking a judicial review of the increase. In 2020, 44% of all Saskatchewan exports went through Vancouver, representing a value of $12.2 billion. Saskatchewan accounts for about 22% of the tonnage through the Port of Vancouver. Manitoba's Agriculture Minister says a meeting with his federal, provincial and territorial counterparts last week recognized progress on finalizing an industry-led grocery code of conduct. Derek Johnson says in a news release that consumers in Manitoba and across the country need more transparency and predictability in retail food prices and an assurance of fair dealing and practices in Canada's food supply chain. Agriculture and Agri-Food Ministers met virtually on Friday, where Johnson says they also discussed strategies to guard against African swine fever from entering the country, and to be prepared with measures to protect producers if it does. A ramp designed by pork company High Life for vaccinating weanlings has the potential to improve animal care across the industry. The ramp was created by High Life's Continuous Improvement Team and has received approval from renowned animal behavioralist Dr. Temple Grandin. 
Grandin was brought in by High Life to tour its farms and processing facility at Nipawa, Manitoba. The company says it designed the ramp in response to employee feedback that picking up piglets and bringing them to another employee performing vaccination placed a strain on both the staff and the animals. The system works by moving weanlings up the ramp in groups. Once they are up the ramp, a gate using a pulley system is lowered. Employees can then begin picking the piglets from the waist height to be vaccinated. The animals are then gently placed on a slide, depending on their sex, and gradual sloping slides off each side of the station bring the piglet back down slowly and safely to ground level. Meanwhile, China's pork output increased 4.6% in 2022 from 2021 to reach its highest level since 2014, confounding some expectations for a smaller rise. Pork output in the world's top producer of the meat reached 55.41 million metric tons, the highest since 56.71 million tons recorded eight years ago. The 2022 output compared with 52.96 million tons in 2021. Output was boosted by high fourth quarter production of 13.91 million metric tons, according to Reuters calculations of the data from the National Bureau of Statistics. That was up 0.8% from the same year earlier quarter, despite a shortage of slaughterhouse labor due to COVID-19 outbreaks. Farmers have raised heavier hogs there, hoping to benefit from an anticipated recovery in demand and prices, a factor that could have boosted output. After briefly holding a net long position to start the new year, speculators were back holding a net short position in canola in the second week of January as they liquidated long positions and put on some new bearish bets. The latest Commitments of Traders report compiled by the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission put the net managed money short position in Ice Futures Canola last Tuesday at 1,161 contracts, a swing of about 8,500 from the previous week's net long position. Open interest in the canola market fell by 10,824 contracts during the week to 213,017. At the Chicago Board of Trade, the managed money net long position in soybeans declined by about 10,000 contracts, coming in at roughly 132,600. The Chicago Board of Trade corn managed money net long position was down by roughly 50,000 contracts to about 149,700. Big equipment company based at Haver, Montana has announced plans to bring back its well-known Big Bud tractors. Working in partnership with Rome Agricultural and Construction Equipment in Cedartown, Georgia, the company is planning to release the new HD Big Bud in March at an international construction trade show in Las Vegas. Around 500 Big Bud tractors, known for having the highest horsepower on the market, were originally built in Montana from the late 1960s until the early 1990s. While the Big Bud brand is known for its simple design, any new tractors will have to meet Tier 4 emission standards. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Faulkner. 
There's some very light snow in minus 12 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Rural municipalities are expressing support for Saskatchewan's proposed Firearms Act. SARM President Ray Orb says SARM is supporting the provincial legislation to help insulate rural residents from misguided federal policies. He says Ottawa's new gun law proposals go too far and would ban use of some rifles and shotguns that are in use on the farm. We've been following um, the Saskatchewan Firearms Act and we've been speaking to the Chief Firearms Officer uh, Robert Freeberg as well. He was at our midterm convention in Saskatoon and we also had a meeting with him in Regina just recently. And So uh, we uh, you know, needed some more of the details about the act itself. But we're definitely throwing our support behind the province on this. We think there are lots of good things in this act that people need to know about. He outlined some of the key reasons to support the act. I think one of the reasons, you know, it's a reaction, no doubt, against uh, the federal bill C-21 and something that SARM came out in opposition to, especially uh, with the recent amendment to some of the uh, firearms associated with, you know, what, what hunters, what farmers and ranchers use on their farms. It could be it could be rifles, it could be shotguns now that are suddenly becoming illegal because of the federal government desire to, to put them on the list. So we know the province is reacting to this, but we think this legislation is necessary. There needs to be more done, especially, you know, with promotion of hunter safety. We need to make sure that the general public knows, listen, there are a lot of hunters out there that are law-abiding, and they're using safe storage of firearms. They're using their firearms in a responsible way, and so that message needs to be relayed to the federal government as well. Orb sees it as a way to help rural Saskatchewan insulate itself from misguided federal policies. That's what we said in the press release. You know, we think the bill itself, you know, Bill C-21, is misguided in, in um, you know, in the relationship of how it actually affects rural landowners and, and their law-abiding possession of firearms, rifles, and shotguns that hunters and ranchers and farmers use every day, uh, as a matter of fact, on their farms to protect their livestock. So um, we see a lot of good things coming out of this act. We know there was very strong support in our provincial legislature on this act and uh, we want to make sure this act is passed and we hope that in the meantime the federal government realizes that there are provinces like Saskatchewan that are standing up for law-abiding gun owners and actually change their mind on some of the amendments that have been brought forward. He notes the Saskatchewan Firearms Act will establish a provincial firearms regulatory system to promote the safe use of firearms. Yeah, that's right. And that's something we're interested in working with the province on and Mr. Freeberg as well is to get that message out there. As I mentioned, safe handling and the safe storage of firearms. So I think there needs to be good communication with everyone in this province that's interested. I know there's more interest now in the most recent years, especially from younger hunters that are interested in becoming hunters, you know, even target shooting, things like that. These are the law-abiding people that you don't need to put any more regulations on. But at the same time, I think we need to promote that industry to the province. Ray Orb is the president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities. It's time now for the livestock market conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdon. Livestock market conditions. 
U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 157 even. That's down 72. April live cattle trading at 160.10, down 80. March feeder cattle trading at 181.47, down 140. April feeder cattle trading at 186 even, down 105. February lean hogs trading at 78.47, down 17. April lean hogs trading at 88.35, up 107. And that's the livestock market conditions. Thank you, Tanya. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. The trade spent most of the week preparing for and then reacting to the data dump by the USDA on Thursday. On Thursday, the USDA released the January WASDA report, as well as the winter wheat seeded area report and the grain stocks report. In the significant purchases and trades, Egypt bought 60,000 tons of Russian wheat last Tuesday at $337 a ton. They then added an additional 60,000 tons the day later for the same price. Turkey bought 565,000 tons of February-March delivery wheat at a range of prices to eight different ports at levels that seem to reflect close to $300 per ton. Korea bought 130,000 tons of April-May feed wheat at $343 to $344 a ton. This is roughly what corn is worth into Korea. U.S. export sales amounted to just 91,000 tons for the week, leaving the season total at 555 million bushels, down 6% from last year. In some of the most important news that happened in the wheat markets, starting in Canada. Canada exporters shipped 477,000 tons of wheat during shipping week 23. This makes for a season total of 8.6 million tons, or 66% more than last year. Weekly exports need to average around 356,000 tons for the remainder of the year to meet the AAFC's 18.9 million ton number. We think this should be met and surpassed. Another 174,000 tons of Durham was shipped in shipping week 23, for a year-to-date total of 2.1 million tons, 76% more than last year. In the U.S., most of the news last week was the data dump by the USDA on Thursday. The USDA released the January WASDA report, as well as the winter wheat seeded area report and grain stocks report. For the U.S. wheat, USDA increased beginning stocks by 29 million bushels. Use was raised by 33 million bushels for a 4 million bushel decrease in ending stocks to 567 million bushels, down 14% from last year. Exports were left unchanged at 775 million bushels. This is 3% less than last year, but is likely too high. For the spring wheat class, the USDA increased U.S. spring wheat beginning stocks by 6 million bushels. Total supply was only 1 million bushels higher, which suggests that imports were reduced by about 5 million bushels. Use was unchanged for a 1 million bushel increase to ending stocks to 120 million bushels, 
down 14% from last year. For U.S. Durham, the USDA raised carrion by 1 million bushels. Imports were increased by 4 million bushels for a 5 million bushel increase in the Durham supply. Domestic use was raised by 10 million bushels for a 5 million bushel decrease in ending stocks to 28 million bushels, up 33% from last year. In the seeded area report, the USDA put U.S. winter wheat seeding at 14.9 million hectares, up 11% from last year. Hard red winter wheat area is forecast up 10%, and soft red winter wheat is up 3%. For the stock report, the USDA lowered December 1st stocks by 10 million bushels from last year, and 80 million bushels below what trade was expecting. In Australia, the USDA left Australia's wheat numbers entirely unchanged. The USDA is likely waiting for the Australian Bureau of Agriculture's numbers before they make any more adjustments. Most analyst estimates for the Australian wheat crop range from 39 to 42 million tons, compared to the USDA's current 36.6 million ton estimate. In Argentina, the USDA decreased wheat exports in Argentina by 250,000 tons. This was added directly to their carryout. Badge is expecting a 12.4 million ton crop, which is in line with the USDA's 12.5 million ton number. These estimates, however, are well above the 11.5 million tons that Rosario GE is estimating. Farmers in Argentina sold another 100,000 tons of wheat last week, to a total sales of 6.7 million tons. In the European Union, the USDA increased EU wheat production by 400,000 tons. The USDA also increased EU imports by 1 million tons and increased exports by half a million tons. Ending stocks were thus 900,000 tons higher, but at 11.3 million tons, EU ending stocks only amount to about four weeks worth of demand. In the Black Sea, there is still little snow in Russia or Ukraine, but the cold temperatures are easing and are no longer concerned to the winter wheat crop. The USDA left Russian wheat production and exports at 91 million tons and 43 million tons respectively. 91 million tons of wheat are 21% more than last year. This amount is composed of 68 million tons of winter wheat and 23 million tons of spring wheat. Russia's record wheat crop was produced on 28.7 million hectares of land, with a record average yield of 3.17 tons per hectare. The USDA's production estimate for Russia is over 10 million tons less than Russia's own 101.9 million ton production estimate. This would mean a yield of 3.5 tons per hectare. The USDA says that this kind of estimate is not justified. The USDA increased Ukraine's production and exports by half a million tons each, to 21 million tons and 13 million tons respectively. Exports from the Black Sea will depend on the ability of shippers to get insurance. This is growing increasingly difficult as insurers are no longer offering war insurance for vessels in the Black Sea. Ukraine's AgroConsult says that 2023-24 winter wheat planted area in Ukraine is 3.8 million hectares, down 40% from last year. They are expecting production to be down 16% from last year at 15.8 million tons. 
In other news, we noted last week that decreasing currency values was causing wheat to become even more expensive for importing countries. This last week, we got news that Egypt is working on releasing 1 million tons of agricultural goods that are stuck in its ports. The shipments, primarily composed of corn and soybeans, but also include some wheat and other commodities, are being held until payment is completed. The low value of the Egyptian pound and a lack of U.S. dollars is making payment difficult. In the coming week, Black Sea wheat prices will continue to drive nearby cash prices, but the northern hemisphere crops will need a near-perfect growing season to prevent a fourth straight year of declining world stocks. Korea's feed wheat purchase shows that wheat is cheap versus corn, so wheat prices either need to rise or corn prices need to fall. We would take the boost by the USDA report to extend the sales. We are 50% sold wheat and are looking at selling an additional 25% at $12 a bushel or better. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Commodities Update, and that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty, your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620-7260 or visit lanerealty.com. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 842.10 up a dollar 20 may canola trading at 840 dollars per metric ton up 40 cents march minneapolis wheat trading at 917 and three quarters up five and a half cents march kansas city wheat trading at 857 and a quarter up 13 and a half cents march chicago wheat trading at 755 and a quarter up 11 and a half cents March corn trading at 682 and three quarters up seven and three quarters of a cent March soybeans trading at 1536 and three quarters up nine cents March oats trading at 370 per bushel up six cents and that's the commodities update well, rural Saskatchewan is facing many of the same challenges attracting large animal veterinarians to work in local practices as there are for new medical grads to work at hospitals and regional centers outside of Saskatoon and Regina. And when you do get a younger veterinarian to a rural practice, there's the need for a work-life balance to avoid an early burnout. The topic was discussed last month during a panel discussion at the Agricultural Producers Association of Saskatchewan annual convention in Saskatoon. There were three people on the panel, Dr. Sarah Allen, president of the Saskatchewan Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. Stephanie Smith, the chief veterinary officer with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture, and Dr. Gillian Meyer, dean of the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. APAS delegates were able to ask questions to the panel following their presentations. This one came from a producer in the Norquay area. I uh, sit on the Norquay uh, vet board and we've been looking for a vet for probably 10 years. Our present vet is near 80 with health problems. 
And uh, I'm wondering, we do own the clinic, publicly own the clinic, and I'm wondering what we can do to attract someone. This was the reply from Dr. Sarah Allen, president of the Saskatchewan Veterinary Medical Association. We have veterinarians that are just done, and they have more than served their time. So once they get a new vet in there, they may not want to provide the mentorship that a new grad wants. So I think in order to attract new grads, we need to be able to reassure them that there's going to be some sort sort of mentorship there in some form. And the other thing is that it's been a while since there's been a, a survey on this, but it's been done and the work has been done to show that the after hours demands of the profession are a huge retention issue. So that's something that I think the whole profession needs to work on for those smaller areas. How do we share that load, right? So that those people who are in a small area on their own aren't constantly having their phone ring or text messages dinging all the time because it burns them out pretty quickly so as far as specific solutions for what you can do to attract them I think initially trying to make sure that there's going to be some sort of mentorship there for them and that you can can show that to them and potentially financial incentives like we've talked about may help but I don't think the financial part of it is honestly the biggest issue I think the mentorship and the after hours are the bigger issues that need to be addressed to keep people in in smaller areas an APAS delegate who has a daughter in the veterinary profession noted that 85% of students are women. He questioned if those graduates have the proper information about working in a rural veterinary practice. This is Dr. Jillian Meyer, Dean of the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. Most of them get in, again, through the Ag program in, at University of Saskatchewan. So they understand the industries, they understand what it, what it takes to be a large number of veterinarians. Now, does anybody understand what it's really like to be on call all the time? No, nobody does, right? But we talk about that. It's one of the things we teach them in second year. We've, they've got a business course every single year. Second year is how to sign contracts, how to read a contract. So we know that that's an issue, and, and they learn that, that work all the way through. Yes, 80 to 85% of our applicants are women, 80 to 85% of our grads are women, and our large animal vets are women and they're just doing a crackerjack job out there working their butts off. Dr. Stephanie Smith used to work in a large animal veterinary practice and is now the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture's Chief Veterinary Officer. She says there are opportunities for both younger vets and producers to learn from the current situation. People that are coming out want to have a life after 9 p.m. or midnight when most of us got home. It's, it's not even 6, it's later. And the way that the profession operates, how far out you have to go, how much you're traveling, how long the hours you're working is challenging. So I think there's room here that the profession itself needs to look at how do we change expectations. Because we're a for-service industry, it, it is about the economics because we have to fill out the bill at the end of the day. We can't be like public health care, right, and do what we like to do and still get a check at the end of the day. We have to get out there and make that money to keep the lights on. So that makes it really challenging sometimes when you have to go full out to get that funding and yet have people complain at the, at the end of the day that you charge too much. So it really does burn you out. So I think there's opportunities here for the profession to look at. How do we change ourselves so we're not setting ourselves up to fail by saying, hey, you, you shouldn't be expected to work 36 hours without food, without food and water. Why do you think I went to government? Now I actually get a lunch break every once in a while. <laughs> in practice, I sure didn't. But the other piece of that is, I think, is for APAS and for livestock associations and for animal owners in general, 
general to think about that as well because we are the other humans at the end of this equation and there are instances that push people out of practice with how they're treated when they're out there, right? So I think there are good opportunities there for everybody to think about how can we better support those vets in our VTEs so that when they come out, we're not giving them the third degree and running them out of that profession and burning them out. So I think it's a two-way street. Profession has opportunity to change and grow, but the clients at the other end have the opportunity to be better educated about what we're facing and find opportunities to support as well. Dr. Stephanie Smith is the Chief Veterinary Officer with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. She was one of three people on a panel at last month's APAS convention that discussed the shortage of large animal veterinarians in rural Saskatchewan. It's now coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check out the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries, winds southeast at 10 to 15, and a high of minus 8 degrees. For tonight, cloudy with a slight chance of flurries, winds north at 10 to 15, a low of minus 12. For tomorrow, mainly cloudy, winds southeast at 10 to 15, a high of minus 8, a low of minus 11. For Thursday, cloudy with sunny breaks, winds south-southeast at 10 to 15, and a high of minus 7. For Friday, cloudy with occasional sun, a high of minus 4. And Saturday, partly sunny with increasing cloud later in the day, a high of minus 3. In the Paw, it's minus 9 degrees, Swan River minus 10, Dauphin minus 11, Brandon minus 13, Show Lake Russell and Roblin minus 12. Regina, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head all reporting in at minus 11 degrees, Hudson Bay minus 9, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 13. The Yorkton, Melville region has some very light snow. An east wind at 11 kilometers an hour. 89% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 12 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 18 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. CJGX Yorkton, a Harvard Media radio station serving Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We are GX94.